Pathway Church, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's that most important day in the history of the world when sin and grace and forgiveness and salvation and purpose and power all meet in an empty tomb and our lives are changed forever. The story is told in John chapter 20. I want to read that passage for you and please follow along with me. Early the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand that from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Have you ever noticed how many people are running in this scripture? It almost makes you sweat just reading it. You know, they're they're going like crazy. Usually in the New Testament, they're not running all the time. But in this passage in John, they're running. And of all places to be running, they're running in a cemetery. I mean, cemeteries are those places where we go through reverently and quietly. And we reflect as we walk among the tombstones. Brenda and I love to, to visit cemeteries. We like to read the, the tombstones. And there's one in particular we love. It's in Savannah, Georgia. And there's this tombstone, and it says that Mary died at the age of 42, having her 19th child. 
And Brenda's comment was, I bet she said hallelujah. (laughs) Cemeteries are not a place we run. Cemeteries are a place where we're reverent, but they're running. Now, I've always been a runner. Uh, When I was in high school, I ran the 440, the 880, the mile, the two mile. The reason I ran was because I was too skinny and light for the football team. Our basketball team was in the state tournament every year. I wasn't good enough for that team. So I thought my way to success with girls and get my Clark County letter jacket with the black leather sleeves and the big cardinal on the front was track. Uh, the track part went okay. The girls didn't go so well. But I've been a runner. I ran a marathon in my 30s. Uh, I ran lots of uh, 10K races, the last one a little over 10 years ago. And then I kind of quit running for the last four or five years. But since I've been here, I started running again. I, I ran a couple of miles one of my first days here and about died. And then now I'm running about three miles a day, and it's going okay. It it hurts. Uh, I look painful. But I've noticed when people run, they look more like Good Friday than Resurrection Sunday, the expressions on their face. You know, when people blow past me and they're in better shape than me, I, I snarl more than I smile. But even if you're not a runner, many of us spend our time running. We run from one job to another. We're overcommitted. We're overbusy. And, uh, and we go like crazy all the time. Uh, since I've been here, it's, it's been meeting after meeting. I thought, wow, this, this place is really, really busy. I saw a commercial a few years ago where this guy is at his son's baseball game. And he looks at his watch and he runs about 300 yards to another field, to the soccer field to watch his daughter. Then he runs back to see his son. He's trying to be two places at once. If there's one good thing that's come out of this stay-in-place thing in Florida is that we've had time to get acquainted with our family again, to the people that will cry at our funeral. And we've had an opportunity, hopefully, to listen to the Lord and what he has to say to us. Running. Some people run because they're anxious or they're afraid, but children run because they love it. Have you ever noticed when church lets out and the kids run out into the lobby, they almost knock all the old folks over? They're just excited. You know, they run with joy. I think they run because they like to go fast. Well, the spirit of Resurrection Sunday is that kind of running. It's the joy that children have. It's running because scarred feet have been set free. It's because there's new hope and new possibilities and a second chance. And I've noticed over the years that Resurrection Sunday is not the same for everyone. Everyone listening and watching this morning does not approach Resurrection Sunday the same way. Not all of you want to be here. Some of you are watching because mom said you had to. Some of you are watching because your spouse guilted you into it, and you've got to watch. I can remember in Lexington, there was uh, a gal in my church. She was in her 30s. And every Resurrection Sunday, as she came in, she'd say, I'm here. I hope the roof doesn't fall in. She said that to me every year. And she'd come back the next year on Resurrection Sunday. I was at the church 18 years. In year 16, She gave her heart to Christ 
and her life began to change. Listen closely, and you'll discover in this passage in John 20 that everyone in that passage does not approach Resurrection Sunday the same way. The disciple Jesus loved. What a handle. How would you like to be called the the disciple Jesus loved? He's never really identified in the scriptures. Tradition says it's John. And if it's John, then he's the one that wrote this passage that we referred to today. John was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And they would be part of Jesus' special miracles, and they were kind of on the inside. At the Last Supper, it's John who leans his head on Jesus' shoulder and says, Who is it that's going to betray you? It's John, when everyone else has fled, who's at the foot of the cross, and Jesus looks down at him and says, This is your mother. You be her son. In John 20, it's the disciple that Jesus loved that's in a foot race with Peter. Remember, Mary comes running and she goes, the tomb is empty. We don't know where he is. And and they take off to find out what's going on. Now, I don't know if John was younger or in better shape. Maybe he ate raisin bran and Peter ate eggs and bacon. I, I don't know. But he blows right by Peter. And he arrives at the tomb quickly. He looks inside, but he doesn't go in. He reflects. And a few minutes later, Peter shows up, and he's huffing and puffing and gasping for air. He goes right past John, straight into the empty tomb. And it says that John followed him in. And they see the grave clothes neatly stacked. And then there's an amazing thing. John is not only faster than Peter running, he's faster than Peter to faith. The scriptures say he saw and believed. What did he see? He saw an empty tomb with some clothes stacked. He didn't see angels. He didn't see the resurrected Jesus. He simply sees an empty tomb, and and that's enough. He believes. John, you're here this morning, aren't you? You might be male or female. You might be young or old. But some of you here this morning, you believe like John believed. You can hardly remember a time that you didn't believe in Jesus and that he was the Christ. You don't have to struggle much with faith. You may struggle in life, but but faith comes easy for you. It, It comes quickly to you. I've known some children that wanted to be baptized at four years of age, and I encouraged them to wait a few years. But at four years of age, they're already passionately in love with Jesus. He is risen. He's risen indeed. For those beloved disciples, they cross the stream of faith at its narrowest point. It's not hard for them to step over and to believe. In fact, it's so easy for them, they sometimes struggle with people who don't believe and who struggle to believe because it doesn't make sense to them. It's so easy. I'm not a great technological pastor. The staff here has already discovered that. I've had to have a lot of help getting on Zoom and lots of different things. And they'll say, well, you do this, you move your cursor here. And and I kind of look at them with this blank look and and they don't understand. Why, Why don't I get it? Why don't I understand it? 
I have a good friend who learns languages like you learn the alphabet. She taught herself Spanish in two weeks. She speaks nine or ten different languages. It's amazing. Some of us struggle learning how to say, where's the restroom in another language? That's pretty important to know, by the way. We don't all understand and process things the same way. So why should it surprise us that people don't come to faith in the same way? But we come in different ways. You beloved disciples, you have this wonderful childlike faith. You haven't missed anything. You, you accepted it right away. Your life might not be easy, but you're here today because you want to celebrate the resurrection. You know it's true. But not everyone comes to faith in the same way or even at the same pace. In fact, in all four Gospels, the only disciple who comes to Jesus after only seeing an empty tomb is the beloved disciple. No one else. Peter walks into that same tomb and scratches his head and goes, what's going on? He didn't understand. You come to church on Sunday or you watch from home. And you listen to the music and the praise and you see people raise their hands. And you watch baptisms and you see the glow on people's face. And you ask the question, why, why don't I feel that way? Why doesn't it come easily for me? You may think you're the only person that struggles with faith, even resurrection faith. You have questions. There's some things that you're not sure about. Guess what? You're in this story too. Your name's not John. Your name is Peter. Simon Peter comes and sees, but he's a man's man. He's a fisherman. He knows all the bad jokes and he knows the swear words. We know that because in the courtyard, he swore and said, I didn't know him. I never even knew him. Now he's consumed with guilt and darkness and brokenness. For him, when you're dead, you're dead. When it's over, it's over. He thought Jesus was going to set up a kingdom and, and they were going to rule the world and it didn't happen. And he feels terrible that he died that horrible death and he feels even worse that he was not a help. He was probably a hindrance. Something in Peter died when Jesus died. I've noticed over the years, there's a lot of folks that come on Resurrection Sunday that don't normally show up. And you can always pick them out. Their shoes are too tight. Somebody stuck a tie on them and they, they feel a little uncomfortable and, and they're there and they're not sure why they're there. And in your heart of hearts, you're just not quite sure about what's going on in this place. And you wonder if there's anyone else like you. You really don't know. Faith for you is not simple or natural. The stream is very wide where you have to cross. Simon Peter, male or female, young or old, you're here today, aren't you? You've come running. Perhaps you've come hopeful that, that maybe this time it'll work. Back in the 1980s, I was doing a master's in rehabilitation counseling at the University of South Florida in Tampa. I was five years into 
ministry as a senior pastor, and I was 28 years old, not quite sure what God wanted to do with my life, uh, whether he wanted me to stay in ministry for the next however many years. And so school's always been that place where I could ask questions. So I started this counseling degree, and we were studying gestalt therapy, which is kind of sit and talk to an empty chair. It's an interesting concept. <laughs> and I was meeting with a group of people from that class at Dolly Andrews Cakes and Pies on Bush Boulevard. Oh, my goodness. Well, they, they, the place isn't there anymore, but the memories of their uh, Cornbread, sweet cornbread is forever etched in my mind. And after class, we'd go there and talk, and Jim would always ask questions about faith. He'd want to know, how can Christians believe this, and what about this in the Bible? And he always directed those questions towards me, even though he didn't know I was a minister. I didn't tell him that at the time. But he was always just a little pointed and a little angry, but I knew that Jim really wanted to believe. Simon Peter, I know your story because I was Simon Peter. When I was in college, I was throwing things against the wall about faith. I wasn't sure I understood. I wasn't sure there were some things I couldn't answer and questions I couldn't answer. And God kept bringing people into my lives and, uh, that were living a life that was transformed by his love, and I couldn't deny that. And God kept working on me and teaching me through professors and through other things till I could come to the point where I could say not only yes to him, but yes, I would follow him the rest of my life. There's this amazing passage in Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. The angel of the Lord comes to Mary Magdalene and he says, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into the Galilee. He's saying, especially tell Peter. If anyone should have been excluded from the invitation, it should have been Peter. Resurrection Sunday is about God coming back and coming back especially for those who didn't think he would come back, who didn't believe. He doesn't preach or scorn or say, I told you so. He's basically saying, Simon Peter, I love you. It may take you a while, but you'll get there. We'll get there together. Simon Peter walked away from Easter that Sunday morning, not believing. You may too. But Simon's moment came a few days later. He was back doing what he loved. He wasn't very good at it because every time you see Simon Peter fishing, he's not catching any fish. <laughs> But he's fishing, and Jesus is on the shore, the resurrected Christ, and he hollers out to the guys in the boat to, you know, try another side, and they catch all these fish. And when Peter hears his voice, he knows who it is. It's the Lord, and he jumps into the water, and he swims, and he gets there, and Jesus is preparing fish by a fire, probably something he had done for the disciples many times. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon Peter, Son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Jesus gives him his assignment, his job. Feed my sheep. Don't miss this. It's one thing to forgive someone who has betrayed you, doubted you, 
denied you. But it's a whole different level to trust them and to trust that person again and to give them a ministry to do. If you've ever heard a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a spouse tell you you've gone too far, you can't make it back to Christ, he can't use you, that's not the voice of our Lord. I tell you, Simon Peter, he came back for you. For years in church, we had Easter egg hunts, and I've noticed this about Easter egg hunts. Parents are very competitive. They want their kids to win. They want them to get the most eggs. And so they'll point to them where the eggs are. And sometimes they'll even put the eggs in their basket. But somebody else doing it for you is not the same as you finding the eggs and you putting them in your basket. Simon Peter, you can't use John's faith, that simple faith that believes so easily. You must become the person, the follower he wants you to be. The last face I want you to notice this morning is Mary Magdalene. You may remember Mary Magdalene. Well, first of all, she's a woman. And women in Jesus' day were not highly revered. They were second-class citizens. And Jesus lifted them up. And I find it rather funny, and I'm sure that the early Jews thought it rather ironic, that the person who first encounters the risen Lord and goes and tells the disciples is a woman. And not just any woman, she was a woman that had seven evil spirits in her. Can you imagine what it's like to be set free from seven evil spirits? In Luke chapter 8, verse 3, it identifies Mary as one of his disciples. She had been there when he cured her of these evil spirits. She'd seen him touch people with diseases. She was there for his earthly ministry. She was there at the cross. She was there when they put him into the tomb. So when she comes there for Resurrection Sunday, she does not come for a resurrected Lord. She comes with a heavy heart. She comes to grieve the one who had literally changed her life. And she's sad and she's broken. The reason she didn't get Resurrection Sunday was not because she didn't believe. It, was because, it wasn't because of guilt. It wasn't because of doubt. It was because of sadness in her life. Mary Magdalene, are you here this morning? Male or female? Young or old? Have you come today with a heavy heart, a sad heart? Maybe a relationship has been broken. A marriage is broken. Maybe the doctor said, you're sick and, and we don't know the answer. Maybe you have a child that's in deep trouble. Some of you are grieving the loss of something or someone special in your life this morning. Mary comes to the tomb with a dark heart and with a heavy heart. And she clings to her grief to the point that she doesn't even recognize the resurrected Lord she comes to the tomb and he's gone. Someone's taken his body. You may feel very far from Christ today. You may feel very broken today. I want you to know he's closer than your heartbeat. I love this next part. Jesus says, Mary. Max Lucado says, no one whispers your name like Jesus. Jesus. 
No one whispers your name like Jesus. Mary, he knows your name. He says 10 chapters earlier in John that I'm the good shepherd and my sheep will hear and know my voice. He calls them by name. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When I was pastoring in Lexington, I pastored Marty and Rudy Thomas. Marty and Rudy spent most of their lives in a bottle. They were lifelong alcoholics. Their health was wrecked. And late in life, both of them came to Christ. Rudy only lived a few years after he came to Christ. What a different life, though. And then he went to be with the Lord. And, and Marty was still hanging around. And I would go visit her sometime. And every time I'd go to see her, she would point this little plaque that she had. Isaiah 49, 16. She quoted it. I will not forgive, forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. He knows your name. John, are you here this morning? Have you come to celebrate the resurrected Lord? Simon Peter, are you here? Questions, doubts, guilt? Mary, are you here? Have you come with a heavy heart and a lot of pain in your life? Not all of us come to Christ the same way, but he invites us all to come. He invites us all to come. Last Sunday, I told you about David. David, the 15-year-old who had been in six foster homes. And I told you about this wonderful couple who had taken these kids into their home. Kim and Jim had, had opened their home to these kids that were troubled kids. And they had the purpose of adopting them. The day had finally come. I get a text message at 1 o'clock at the courthouse, the family courthouse in Vincennes, Indiana, these kids were going to be adopted. And I left my meeting. I rushed to Vincennes. And I got lost. And so I was a little late. And the family courtroom was on the second floor. I rushed up the steps. And I got there. I wanted to be the representative from the church. And I heard a lot of noise. When I got there, there were 40 or 50 people from the church already there. There were balloons and cameras and flowers and they were making so much noise, the bailiff had to come out and say, please quieten down, There's, the courtroom is still in session. And we all went into the court, and we filled the room, and the judge came out, and she had this big smile, and she goes, it's rare that I have happy moments in this court. Often I'm terminating parents' rights, or I'm sending kids to foster homes, and I'm not sure it's a good fit. But today is adoption day. And she said, I want each of you to answer me. David, do you want to be a part of this family? And I thought, well, that's crazy. David's been in this home for two years. Jim and Kim have loved him. They definitely want to be a part, but he had to say yes. Then she said, Nate, do you want to be a part of this family? He smiled and said, yes, big grin. Ariana. Do you want to be a part of this family? And she sheepishly said yes. And then Aurora, do you want to be a part of this family? Yes. At that moment, it was a party. It was a celebration. And I was reflecting on that, and it occurred to me, 
That's what happens on Resurrection Sunday. It's an invitation to be a part of God's family, to be adopted as sons and daughters. And it's not a group thing. We each have to make that choice. We each have to make that decision. It seems obvious. Who wouldn't want to be? Maybe you've come to Resurrection Sunday all of your life. and You've been to all the family events. But this is the moment that each of us must say, I choose to believe. I choose to be a part of this amazing family that God has provided for me through the sacrifice of his son. And when you say yes, my friends, believe me, it's a party. I'm going to ask you in your homes, by the kitchen table, in the living room, wherever you are, to just bow your heads for a moment. We come as we are, this journey to Christ, and it begins with confession. Lord, I'm not perfect. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to invite Simon Peter to pray with me right now. Lord, you know me. You know my doubts. You know my struggle with faith. You certainly know my sin and my failure, but you came back for me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to take that leap of faith. It's a big leap, but help me to take it. Use my life for your glory. Mary, come lay down your grief today. Listen to him call your name. No one says your name like Jesus. At the empty tomb, Decisions have to be made. Decisions to believe or walk away. Today is decision day. If you're watching today, you must decide, do I want to be a part of this amazing family? Do I want to be a part of God's forever family? If you've made that decision today, uh, we're going to have a, a slide that will tell you the email address for our church. We'd love for you to let us know that. As pastors, we want to cheer you on. It will go to us. It'll be the greatest day in the history of your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the invitation. Some of us have questions, but you're not afraid of our questions. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your forever family. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for his willingness to die on a cross, a horrible death. And Lord, thank you for a resurrection, for an empty tomb. He's not here. He is risen. We gladly accept your invitation to be a part of your forever family. In the name of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the shadows of my
yourself and that your presence will never leave us or forsake us and we thank you for your unconditional love and your grace and mercy during such uncertain and just awkward and crazy times Lord we lean upon you we press into you we surrender to you and your provision for us thank you Lord for being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords but thank you for being our living hope. You are alive and well, Jesus. And we rest in you today. And we thank you for what today and tomorrow bring, because you're at the center of it. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you. Happy Resurrection Day. Now be with your family and continue to worship Christ all day long today. We'll see you soon.